mid 30s as I started to learn lots more about it and and after I had been through burnout and uh, uh, and when I was working in a funeral home managing a funeral home I really came to grips with with this subject really well and yet it's a subject that you continually learn about and my whole aim tonight is that I could equip you a little bit so that at when you're young sorry Warwick you're young, aren't you? Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> so when you're young, you can begin to understand what it means to grieve and how to cope with it a little bit better and how to deal with it in a practical way a little bit. So I'll be running through a few um, definitions and that sort of stuff. It'll seem a little bit lectury for a little bit. But I want to talk about how is it that we do this and how is that that we care for other people in the midst of it. So I'd like to read to you a psalm, just to start off. This is a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm of David and Psalm 34. And it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I like that. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord, sounds like the, uh, the natives are revolting in there. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, there's a, there's a whole bunch in that. Anyway, we won't talk about that tonight. I don't want to get tangented. And I love this particular verse, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. There's some awesome promises in that, in that psalm. And we could sit in that psalm for ages and ages just picking it apart. But that I want to use just as a little bit of a basis and not work through that psalm tonight but refer to it a little bit later. I forget the name of this athletic, handsome, young 18-year-old man. 
who was with his mates on a train in the Blue Mountains. And um, <clears throat> after getting high on some drugs, he decided that he wanted to exit the train and climb up on top of the train and do some train surfing. Do you understand what train surfing is? Little did he know in the state that he was uh, affected by the drugs that the staunchions, the railway staunchions on the side of the track were cl much closer than he thought. A railway staunchion is a steel post that holds up the electrical things for the electric trains. And because it was so close and he was hanging out of a speeding train, his body struck that one of those staunchions and he was killed instantly. His father was like a zombie when he came into my funeral office the day after his son died. And as we sat together, he tried to tell me through all of the pain, through the groanings of his pain, through the tears and through this ache within him that just caused him to, to utter groans with me. He tried to tell me of his precious son who was killed that night before. Among all of the tears, the main thing that he wanted and the main thing that I remember that he wanted was that he just wanted to see his son again. And that's normal, hey? He just wanted to know that he could see him and remember his handsome face. He just wanted to see him. I promised that I would go and see his son on his behalf and let him know if that was going to be possible. Without explaining to you what I saw when I unzipped the body bag where his son was, I immediately saw him and knew that it was totally inappropriate for that dad to be able to see his son again. For the mangled parts of this young, handsome man, 18 years of age, was, was not something that his dad should look on. Every time I mention it, I remember. Every time I mention it, I see the photos in my brain of the body of this young man. And so I had to say to him that, I'm sorry, but I would advise that you don't. I couldn't stop him, but I advise that you don't. But this poor man, this father, just desperately wanted his son to come back home. And so after the funeral, which was really large, really can understand for an 18-year-old young man, really big funeral, that dad would come into my office week after week after week. He would carry a photo with him and he would come and he would cry and groan and just ache and he would come and tell me stories about his son, this precious young man, this awesome young man who is now gone. And why was it that he came to see me all of the time? Because I was the last link person. I was the last person who saw his son and I was the last person who could connect him in a sense with the physical body of his son. Even though most of us won't face uh, such a terrible tragedy like that, 
such a terrible situation as that, Dad, all of us will face something in common with people all over the world, and that is grief. With all of the thousands of people I've helped in their grieving time, in the tragedies, in the difficult times, in all of that, there is something really common no matter what race, no matter what culture, no matter what coloured skin, everybody faces this thing because it's part of the reflection of the love of God that is within our lives as a, as a reflection of his character that is with, built within us. It is something that is real. It's something that I want to suggest to you that each of us is grieving in some way in, because of the experiences in our life, even the young ones, even though you might not recognise it as that. Even though it might be common to all of us, though, it's individual to each of us. So it's a journey that each of us takes individually. Even though we would stand together and understand and, and recognise that we might be grieving. And I want to ask you, what is it? What is this thing that we call grief? And to, for, in order for us to understand what it is, we must understand that it's associated with loss. Something that we, the losing things in our life, losing a people or things, and I'll give you some definition in a minute. And I really think that many of us just don't know what to do with this thing we call grief. We just find it so difficult, and particularly in our Western culture, we just want to hide it away and pretty up the painful stuff and push it away so that we don't have to face it or it's just too hard to face it. Just like that dad, when he would come into me every week. And for many other stories that I have of parents who ran over their child in the driveway of their, of their house and they would come and speak to me about that. They want to come to grips with this pain that is so debilitating in their life. And sometimes I just don't think that we know what to do with it. We just don't know what it is. And we just don't know if we can't do our own stuff, how do we help other people in this stuff? So to better understand it, I just want to have a quick look at a couple of definitions and a couple of things that are included. I don't want to go too long. Loss. Severing or breaking of an attachment to something or someone. It can be an object, it can be a dream, it can be a belief, it can be a whole bunch of stuff that re results in the change of relationship or environment. So it changes the relationships that we might have within our lives, it changes our relationship with our world, our situations, our circumstances, and it changes the environment in which we live. For example, if your house burns down, obviously the environment changes. You can't live there anymore. Someone precious to us dies, like that dad who lost his son. The relationship, although he longed for it, still it wasn't there because his son wasn't there. And the environment in which they lived was something that had turned from wonderful and happy to totally tragic and painful. So we can see lots of examples of this in scriptures. Right throughout the Bible, we see the examples of people losing things. David... Uh, King David had a, a son and his son died. And so there was that sense of this deep loss in his own life as he cried out to God for the life of his son. 
There are many stories right throughout the scripture, right throughout the, uh, uh, Israel. There are stories about Jesus when he had a friend whose name was Lazarus and his friend died. And if you remember that story, Jesus was called by Lazarus' sister, please come because Lazarus, your friend is sick and then he died. And then after a few days, Jesus got there. Lazarus is in the tomb and the shortest verse in the Bible, many of you will know it, Jesus wept. So he faced that grief in his own life. He faced it in the garden when before he was crucified and he went to pray and seek God about what was going to happen next. And if you remember, he was so intense in his praying that he sweated drops of blood. But he said to his mates, his disciples, hey guys, could you wait? I'm going on further to be with my dad. Can you hang fire here and watch and pray for me? Watch and pray. And he came back three times and the disciples had already gone to sleep. And he said, can't you, can't you even stay with me just one hour? So there was that sense of the loss of the support of the guys with whom he had in, in whom he had invested his own life for a few years. There are a bunch of, of examples that I just want to show you uh, what loss is. And you know all of these, I'm not going to read them out. These are the sorts of things. Significant people de- depart from us for various different reasons. And sometimes we don't count some of these things, but they're really real. It's not just the significant people in our lives, but external objects that we might lose that are just not there anymore for lots of different reasons. Further to that, there is that sense in which we, in our own lives, we have these stages of development through our lives and we can lose through each of those stages when they change. And so we could call it developmental loss. For the married people, is there something that you lost when you got married? Well, I remember when I got married 32 years ago, I was uh, batching in my grandparents' house and they had uh, both died. So I was batching in their house and um, got married to Barbara. And she came into that house and she started to change things. (laughs) That doesn't go in that cupboard. What, what, the kitchen's rearranged. You can't come in here and do it. So there, was, there could be that sense in which, hey, hang on, I've lost control in my own house. I, I got over it. I did a little sook for a while, but I got over it. Boys sook, don't they, girls? Mm-hmm. Gail goes, yes. So there's a whole bunch of developmental losses in our lives. So if grief is something that is ripped off us uh, or someone and we lose them, What is grief then? Grief is the normal response. You see, grief is really normal. It's a normal part of our being as a human being. It's a normal process that we walk through as people. Even though our society says, run away. Don't do that. That's too painful. God wants to let us know that that's a part of who we are. Jesus gave us the example of in his own perfect humanity that that was who he was because of his depth of love, the depth of pain that he experienced when Lazarus died. That was a totally normal response for him. 
It can happen in various different ways. In, it can be a physical response, an emotional response. It can be a mental response, how we think. And it can be a spiritual response and how we bargain with God about this stuff and how we even contend with our faith in the midst of tragedy. And so just to give you a quick understanding of some of the examples of that. So in, in our mindset, when, when we walk through a painful time, and you might really relate to some of this stuff, how is it that our thoughts, we can get fuzzy brain syndrome. When, if you've been through a painful time, you will know that fuzzy brain syndrome is quite very normal because you just can't think so straight. Not only that, but we have lots and lots of feelings and feelings are okay to walk through. Lots of these things we try to push away, but I want to suggest to you that it's important that we walk through them. When Jesus walked through the desert, he didn't try to avoid it. He didn't try to get out of it. He didn't try to shortcut it. He didn't try to fast forward it. He walked through it so that he could come to the end. And sometimes in our pain, we've got to walk through it until we come to the end. Because in the middle of that, God's doing something within us to transform us and to make us new. He does something within us that changes us more into his likeness, something in which we can be better equipped to help others. Because in the book of 1 Corinthians says, we are comforted in the ways in which we can comfort others. I think it's something like that. So it can be all those feelings. Hello. We can do a whole bunch of things that... Uh, that are activities, if you like, behaviours. And I reckon one of the things that in our society that we hear so much, oh, don't cry, don't, 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 don't do that. Why? Because I can't handle it. That's virtually why we do that. Big boys don't cry, don't you know that? Well, they do. But sometimes people don't cry and that's just as okay. So I just want to show you some of these examples of things that are very normal when we walk through the tough times of life. And I think there's just maybe one. They're physical reactions. Um, if we walk through a really tough time, we can be compromised in our immune system, in our body, and so we can be more uh, susceptible to colds or more susceptible to germs, more susceptible to things like that. Um, and I think that's all that I have. Yeah. So how do we handle this stuff? Do we just ignore it and hope that it goes away? Do we just think about, oh, uh, well, if, if I don't express it to someone else, then they won't think I'm an idiot, and then I won't be vulnerable, and then if I just hold it inside myself, then it'll be all right. We know that, you and I know that with life-threatening illness, that sometimes it's so easy to say, uh-uh, no, I'll just keep it to myself. But, you know, I've got some clues on how to handle this in a really good way. To give you an illustration, my son, my youngest son, Ben, who turns 24 today. Hey, Joshy. Uh, when he was little, he got a splinter in his hand. And, you know, boys love... We're playing with nails and, and hammers and, and bits of wood and stuff, yeah? And he, cut, he got a splinter in his hand. He said, he's only little. Dang, I got a splinter in my hand. It hurts. What does daddy want to do? Get the needle. 
and say, come over here, Benny, and I'll take it out for you. <laughs> and he's going, oh, no, you know, no, 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 don't do that. Daddy, 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 put a Band-Aid on it and it'll all be okay. Because if you can't see it, it's not really real, is it? Particularly if it's a Mickey Mouse Band-Aid, so that's, that's even much better. You and I know that under the Band-Aid, that splinter in his skin festers and gets pussy and gets a bit more sore and it can get infected. So it's not until you rip the Band-Aid out and dig out the source of the infection will the wound begin to properly heal, hey. You know, we do that emotionally so often. We throw it all inside, don't tell anybody, don't cry. And we learn bad behaviour so that when we go through another difficult time, we just throw it all inside. And another difficult time, throw it all inside. And we become a splinter in our heart and, and uh, it becomes pussy and sore. It's not until you take off that defensive cover and dig out the source of the infection or allow Jesus to dig out the source of the infection will the wound begin to properly heal. So how do we do this? We imitate Jesus. And what did Jesus do? What did he do when Judas betrayed him? What did he do when he was in the garden and they brought the temple police and the Jewish guard and probably about 250 soldiers by uh, estimate coming to find him in the garden and when, he's, when they said, and he said to them they didn't recognise him, who is it that you're looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. I love the. Have you ever read that that story in the Gospel of John, when two hundred and fifty soldiers they're all there ready with their spears and swords and shields and stuff, and and he says, "I am he." They all fell down. They all fell flat on the ground. I thought that was a really good reaction, that the Almighty God. That's a tangent, but that's the Almighty God saying, "I am he," and they all fell on the ground. <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall. Really, that would have been awesome, but. He admitted it and he was honest. He knew that he would be betrayed by Judas. How many times have we be betrayed? He knew that he would have to go to the cross and so what did he do? Went willingly. He was in this place of facing the ultimate loss of his human life and that was the, the loss of his life. And he went willingly. That's a hard thing. And when he was in the garden and those disciples didn't stay with him, imagine the loss of the sense of betrayal because his, his greatest guys in his life just didn't even stand with him. Have you ever been betrayed by others before? I have. It's not a nice feeling. It's not a nice feeling at all. Our reaction is fight back. Jesus said, no, I'm going to go with it. So be honest with God, we read that in, in our psalm today, tonight. Be honest with the stuff in your life. It says, this man cried out and the Lord heard. He, he said, God, I am making myself vulnerable to you. I'm telling you the pain in my life. I'm crying out to you. Oh God, I'm voicing it to you. So often we try to hide it inside and deal with it by ourselves. But God says, no, 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 you can tell me because I want to heal you. 
The righteous cry out for help. The Lord hears and he delivers them from all their troubles. Does he always deliver us like that? No. I think we forget that we live in this temporary mindset of these minutes and hours and days and weeks in this box. God stands outside of that time and lives in the eternal. He knows exactly when it is that we will, we will be delivered from the troubles of this life. Yes, we will. But in the meantime, God does something in our lives to change us and transform us. And if nothing else, my friends, let me, let me teach you something. God is far more interested in what he can do inside of you than what you can ever do for him. He's in the business of transforming hearts. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Don't lie to yourself. When I went through burnout in ministry back in the 90s, I had pushed myself so hard that I just fell over the emotional edge. And I had to confess to my wife that I had a mistress and her name was the church. I sold myself out and ki almost killed myself for something that I ought not to have done, I didn't need to do. And I lied to myself, it'll be okay. I'll be right, we'll just keep on going. I couldn't keep going. And I had to admit that I was wrong. So I had to confess to my wife. In Galatians 6, it says, bear one another's burdens. Help one another. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with other safe people. There are some people in your life that won't be safe. When you share something that's confidential, maybe they have a problem with not being able to keep it to themselves. They're not safe. You might love them, but they're not safe. Learn to understand who those safe people are. For the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And give yourself permission to do it. And how do we help others? Oh, sorry, and tell your story. Do you know your story is really important? Do you know that? When we sit in the youth hall on a Thursday and all of these people come to get food, and isn't that exciting that over the next year we'll be looking to be distributing 4,000 food hampers to people in our community, the love of Jesus through that food hamper. But we have t uh, tables and chairs and a cup of coffee and tea and stuff for people, and I sometimes get a chance to go and sit with those people and listen to their story. You see, the world's not listening to their story. The world doesn't care about their story. But Jesus cares about their story, their story of pain, their story of difficulty, their story of, of not having enough money to live, their story can't pay the bills, their story of, of abandoned lives and, and, and partners run away and left with the kids. They have a story. You have a story. And your story is really important. So give yourself permission to tell your story to a safe person. So how is it that we help each other people? Listen. Listen. Avoid cliches. Avoid those pat answers. I need a, a volunteer. Claire, come and be my volunteer. A lot of years ago, I was starting to work with grief and grieving people. And I wondered, God, I asked God, how is it that I help grieving people? 
And the word parakletos came into my mind. The word parakletos is a Greek word for the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus said, I will send another comforter, that's the word parakletos, the one to help you. The word parakletos means that are coming alongside of one. And God spoke into my heart and he said, you're the personification of the work of the Holy Spirit in those people's lives. And I went, oh, really? Yeah. So if, if you don't need to say anything, you just, <laughs> if Claire just had this terrible loss situation in her life and I came to speak to her, have you often heard, and sometimes we use things ourselves, when we find someone who's having a tragic time in their life, we can use things like, never mind, Claire, it'll be okay. He's in a better place. It'll be right, you'll get over it. <laughs> you know that stuff? Those little cliches, a friend of mine, his mum is in intensive care this week, she's there right now. And uh, she had a perforated bowel this week and uh, she's still in the woods, not out of the woods yet. And, and we've been praying so hard for her, but he spoke to a friend and was very, he was expressing some of the things the doctor was saying, 25% chance of survival, uh, those sorts of things. And his friend said, don't be so negative. Come and say that to me, mate, I'll smack you in the mouth. <laughs> so what I'm doing when I give Claire these cliches is I'm just shutting her down. I'm really saying, don't tell me about your stuff. I don't want to hear about your pain. Guys, wisdom says we've got to walk through this together. So if I'm doing the work of the personified work of the Holy Spirit to Claire and she's just gone through this tragic situation. I stand beside her because it's the standing alongside of one. And I look in the same direction as her and I say, that must be a tough situation, Claire. Suddenly she's starting to respond. Can I walk the journey with you? Good, good clue, good clue. <laughs> In not listening and giving her my opinion, I've stopped her progressing. But standing beside her and identifying with her pain, suddenly she gets an opportunity to progress and keep walking in her life. So listening is so important. And if you don't know what to say, shut up. Zip your lip. Because sometimes we say the most stupid things to people, don't we? I've said some stupid things to people. And you think, oh, Taylor, you're an idiot. You don't need to agree. You don't need to agree. <laughs> you see, my friends, what happens is that so often we allow the pain to settle in our lives. Like a pond, if you sometimes look at a pond of water, ostensibly the pond can be very clean and lovely and the water looks beautiful, but at the bottom of that pond is a bunch of silt and the silt sits at the bottom. And if I take a stick to that pond and I start to stir it, what happens is all the silt gets stirred up and it makes that, that water no longer look clear and clean. It looks muddy and dirty 
and it needs to be stirred up so that fresh water can come in and flush it out. You know, when we are able to be able to express in wisdom with safe people, with God, with ourselves, express the pain in our lives and the difficult situations, just like that dad would come every week and talk to me about his 18-year-old son. What happens is sometimes, yes, the, the, the silt is stirred up in our lives, but God, when, when the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles, he pours waters of, rivers of living water into their life to flush out the pain and to be able to heal and restore and build and transform and change us. These are just a few clues I do these seminars six hours long, so I'm glad, I'm glad you're really patient with me. How long does it take to walk through grieving? All your life. A few weeks ago, I conducted a funeral for a lady in our church. She had cancer from in April. Her and her husband were in missionaries to the indigenous people of Australia for since 1961. And uh, Rosie died. And now Bill, I spend some time with and he comes to church on Sunday morning. When you've spent so many years together with your life's partner and they die, you don't flick the switch off, do you? The love for them is deep and so the pain of losing them is deep. We've got to understand that. It will last for a long time. But God is in the business of helping us to walk through so sometimes the way that he delivers us is walking the journey with us by having his arms around us and saying, I'm with you, I've got your back, I'm, going, I'm comforting you. C.S. Lewis says, grief is not a state but a process, like a walk in a winding valley with a new prospect at every bend. And in Psalm 23 it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy, God will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in his house for always, forever and ever and ever. He says, look forward even though you walk through pain. And John Piper, I like what he says here. Weep deeply over the life that you hoped it would be. Grieve the losses. Feel the pain. Then wash your face. Trust God and embrace the life that he's given you. In Habakkuk, finally, in Habakkuk, it says, how do we handle this stuff? Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Tragedy, 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 yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation for God is my strength. And let me encourage you as I finish to do this out of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Since such a greater cloud of witnesses are surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, everything that weighs us down and every sin which so easily entangles us and let us run 
with endurance, with perseverance, with energy. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now I have to run through it because I just lost it. Since such a great cloud of witnesses are surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and every sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Run. Run life. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. For the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and he delivers them from all their troubles because he's close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed. Are you grieving today? Is there something in your life that has been stirred as we talked about this stuff? Is there something in your life that is painful and you just don't know what to do with? Is there something in your life that you own of your own and no one else knows about? Tonight's the night you've got to tell God about that. Tonight's the night you've got to say, God, I'm going to hand it over to you. And if there's someone here that you find who is safe, that you can go and talk to them and say, I, want, I just want to tell you so we can bear this burden together. God is in the business of healing. God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of helping us walk life's journey. So when, as you, as you progress in your life, all you people who are so young and maybe so jealous that you've got so much life left. See, I've got more, I've got more sleeps behind me than I do before me. Many of you have got more sleeps ahead of you than you've got behind you. Learn in the middle of all of this stuff to be honest. Learn that God is your greatest helper. Learn that He is there for you and His church, His people are there to support you. And you are there to support others. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, in the midst of all of the stuff that life throws at us, the painful things, the tragic things, the difficult things, the wonderful things. In all of it, you have been there before us. Since before the foundation of the earth, dear Lord, you have known what happens in our lives and you're never taken by surprise. When we hear stories like that man who lost his 18-year-old son or those parents who ran over their child, in the driveway of their home. Or the ones who face the suicide of their son or their daughter. Or the ones who lose their child at birth. Or the ones who have their house burnt down or burgled. Or the ones who lose so much stuff in life and yet have no hope. God, we want to be the conveyors of your hope by example in our own lives that when we walk through the stuff of life that we will show that God is the one who delivers us and sets us free. God is the eternal God who brings hope and life who brings mercy and forgiveness. So I pray over every person here tonight if there is painful 
memories that have been stirred tonight, would you bring comfort? If there are particular memories that have been running around minds and they don't know what to do with them, would you bring that sense of your presence? For the righteous cry out and the Lord hears you here and you deliver us from all our troubles. So we lay them before you, dear God, our troubles, our pains, our circumstances, we give them all to you. In Jesus' name.